0: Scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Be reading verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians thirteen, four through 7. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. One of the most famous passages in all the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And especially famous are those verses that Brett just read for us, verses 4 through 7. I've heard those verses read a number of times at wedding services, and I've seen those words inscribed and put into decorative um, plaques and things on people's walls in their homes. They're very familiar. But when you stop and think about the backdrop of 1 Corinthians 13, when you think about what 1 Corinthians 13 does in the book of 1 Corinthians, those words also remind us that love is hard work. As a matter of fact, love is a lot of work, and it involves us doing things that are uncomfortable and difficult. And It's about that subject that I'd like to talk to you this morning. Why love is hard work. In 1 Corinthians, the church was fighting. A congregation not unlike this one, diverse people from all backgrounds and walks of life coming together because of their love and devotion to Jesus Christ. And they had miraculous gifts. Some of them did. And those gifts were different. And the members of the church were kind of proudly puffing themselves up and they were comparing and contrasting which gifts they thought were the best. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul reminds those Christians that it was love that was really important. God put diverse gifts in the church, but the more excellent way, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, is the way of love. And Paul says to Christians then and to Christians now, love is what we're to be all about. It's, it's the mark of spirituality. It's the mark that we really know Jesus. It's the evidence that we really do get what we are to be about as Christians. You remember on one occasion, people asked Jesus, what was the great commandment of the law? And Jesus responded with two answers. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. We are to be, be a people who are all about love. Let all that you do be done in love, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14. Why is love hard work? Think about this. As you're looking at 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7, just notice that last verse. It's very poetic, and it just kind of rolls off your tongue. Loves, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But when you stop and think about what the passage is actually saying... It's saying that if I love people, there are some burdens that I'm going to have to bear. And if I love people, there are some uncomfortable and difficult circumstances that I'm going to have to endure. It's difficult to love people. The last 12 months has been a case study in people not being able to get along. Would you agree with that? The last 12 months has been a case study on a worldwide level of people not being able to agree and not being able to get along about you name it. Love is hard work to bear and to endure things that are difficult. That's challenging. Love is too often absent in people's lives and in their motives. You think about this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, the apostle Paul was writing to a congregation, and he, he was remarking on what was worthwhile about them, what was good. And he, he's thankful for their work of faith, and then he expresses it this way, your labor of love. So it wasn't just that these Christians in Thessalonica, that they said by lip service, we love each other, there was labor involved, and the Greek word for labor there is unique. It's the word that means wearisome, toilsome labor, the kind of labor where you work up a sweat, where at the end of the day, you take your shower, and you put your head down on the pillow, and it doesn't take you any time to fall asleep, that kind of labor And Paul says, I'm reminded of your labor of love, that you're working really diligently and and hard at loving people and especially loving other Christians. Love is hard work. You think about passages like 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12, where Paul, one of his prayers for the church was that the Lord may make the church to increase and to abound in love for one another and for all. As a matter of fact, when you read 1 Thessalonians, this was an infant church. They were brand new in the faith. And there's a lot in 1 Thessalonians that's meant to shore up their faith, to instruct them, to give them the information that they needed. But the thing that Paul kept praying for over and over and over for this infant church was that their love might continue to increase, that their love might abound. I would suggest that that's what God wants us to be praying for the church here in Katy and the church around the world is that love might increase and that it might abound because love is hard work. It's a challenge. There is a great deal of effort involved in really loving other people. Galatians 5 verse 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a faith that works through love. Motivated by love, driven by love, compelled by love, informed by love. That kind of faith is valuable before God. We are, as human beings, we are limited capacity information processors. What do you mean by that? I mean that at any given moment, you only know just a very, very little, a sliver about other people and about what's going on in their lives. You know just a little bit, just a sliver of the circumstances that are happening around you in the world. You don't know a great deal, and neither do I, about people's motives, about their ideas. We don't know a great deal about circumstances and facts. Just think about what you do know. Start writing down things that I I know for a fact this is true, and I know 100% this is true. I'd stake my life on it. We really know very little when you stop and think about it, we really do. In our relationships with each other, we think we know what's motivating somebody else, but we may be drastically wrong. The reason why love is needed is because, number one, God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And we want to serve and to honor Him and to be like Him. But we also need to love others because in the absence of information... And in the event that our information that we think is so right might actually be wrong, love is needed because love is the buffer between people who are imperfect and sinful. Love is what allows us as the people of God to continue to strive to grow and mature. Even when we don't always have all the information about others and about circumstances that we might like to have. Love is hard work. And what I'd like for us to do this morning with our study is this. I'd like to give you just six practical examples, because we are the people of God, and we want to love like God does. Six practical examples about how love is a lot of work. The labor of love, what does it look like? If I'm going to be a loving person, if I'm going to exemplify the 1 Corinthians 13 virtues of love, what does that entail? Six examples this morning. Here's number one. In times of difficulty, love is patient and love is kind. If you've got your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 13, I want you to look at verses 4 through 7. Look at verse 4, first of all. What's the first thing that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 about love? Love is patient. My translation has love suffers long. First thing, out of the box, what did the church at Corinth need? These brethren who were fussing and fighting with each other, what they need? They needed to be patient. They needed to suffer long with one another. Now, watch this. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Love bears all things. Love endures all things. As you look at the characteristics and qualities mentioned in this passage, the passage begins and ends with patience. Do you see that? To be able to bear the imperfections and the irritations and the aggravations of other people and of circumstances, that is the essence of love. It starts and ends with bearing and believing and hoping all things. It starts and ends with patience if i'm not showing patience towards someone i'm not behaving lovingly toward them we serve a god who is patient with us don't we he's patient with our shortcomings not willing that any should perish but wanting all men to come to repentance second peter chapter 3 and verse 9 we serve a patient god and we are to be a patient people because that's what love does The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. You know, sometimes the irritations and aggravations of life, those things that we'd just like to rather not have to deal with and the the people that maybe we'd like to rather not have to deal with, Those things may well be in our lives so that we may become more perfect in our love, so that we may become better and more mature and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, and being patient and kind toward those who it's not always easy to be patient and kind towards. What if the aggravations in our lives are there from God's perspective just so that we might grow up, just so that we might become more like Christ? Isn't that the objective? Isn't that the idea? And when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, isn't it a picture of who Jesus is? Patient and kind and not rude and not parading itself? Isn't that who Jesus is? What if the difficulties we experience and the hard work that's involved in love is intended by God to make us more like our our Savior? In James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, "'Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials.'" knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We are to be patient in trials and in circumstances. And the Bible goes on in another passage to talk about how brethren are to be compassionate toward one another, patient with one another, bearing with one another. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. My love is measured by my ability and willingness to be patient with others. That's what the passage teaches. In times of difficulty, love is patient and kind. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with your patience with those who think differently and view things differently and have different conclusions than you do? How are you doing? Love is patient in times of difficulty. Secondly, why is love hard work? It's not just something that you fall into and fall out of like people talk about or like you see on the Hallmark movies. Love is something that we do on purpose. It's a choice we make. Why is it hard work? Because in a divided world, secondly, love upholds its commitments. I want you, if you're taking notes, to underline that word commitment or circle it. Love demands that we commit to some things. It demands that we say, I'm going to be loyal, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to say yes to this because this is what God says is right. This is what God says is noble. This is what God says is the loving thing to do. In Second Corinthians 1 verse 20, Paul talks about the promises of God, and he says, in him, all the promises are yes and amen. If God makes a promise, he is committed to that promise. He's faithful to that promise. He's gonna do what he says because he loves people and because he loves the truth and because he loves his word. God's going to do what he says. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the Old Testament book of Ruth. And I want you to look at verse 16 of chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. Ruth was a daughter-in-law. She had no blood relation to her mother-in-law, obviously. Her husband died, and her mother-in-law was about to go back to the land of her birth, back to Israel. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was not from the Israelites. But Ruth shows a remarkable commitment. In Ruth chapter 1, it's one of the most beautiful passages anywhere in the Bible. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, tells her, go back, return to your home, return to your people, return to your kin. And Ruth says, no, I love you, Naomi. I'm going to be committed to you. Listen to how she says it, Ruth 1.16. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. Everybody would love, would genuinely love to have somebody that displayed that kind of commitment to them. Think about it. Wouldn't the world be a better place if more people selflessly said, I'm going to stick with you no matter what? No matter what it costs, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, I'm going to stick with you. That's commitment. In Matthew 19, verse 6, Jesus spoke about marriage, and he said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. There ought to be, if we truly love There ought to be a measure of commitment in marriage. I am committed to this relationship. I'm going to stay in this relationship. I've promised in this relationship to love you for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. That sounds a great deal like what Ruth was saying to Naomi, doesn't it? It's about commitment. Love upholds commitments in a divided world. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, you stay committed to what you say you're going to do. If you make a vow, don't fail to pay that vow. In Matthew 5, verse 37, he goes on to say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Hold fast to the words that you speak to others. You make a promise. You make a commitment. Be committed. In Philippians three seventeen, Paul said, hold on to the one thing that we all ought to be pursuing and follow my example and follow the examples of others who are committed to these things, people who are committed to Christianity and to following Jesus Christ. Love upholds commitments according to scripture. In Acts 20 verse 27, the apostle Paul said, I'm committed to speaking and preaching the whole counsel of God to you. In what areas should we uphold commitments? We ought to uphold commitments in living the Christian life. We ought to uphold our commitments in proclaiming and living according to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We ought to uphold our commitment and our faithfulness in our marriages. Because love does this in the midst of a divided world. It's so easy just to unfriend people. It's so easy just to click a button, and I don't have to see that person anymore. I don't have to interact with that person anymore. It's so easy to block somebody on your cell phone. Love upholds commitments. If we truly love others, commitment is part of that equation. Why is love hard work? Number three, because in areas of uncertainty, love believes the best. In areas of uncertainty, love believes what's best. As you look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things. Love is not naive, it's not gullible, it's not easy to fool. But love tries to take the best interpretation of the facts. Because I love you, because I care about you, even though I don't know everything, I might have some questions I ought to, as a Christian, take the very best possible view of the facts. And so, love does the following in relationships. Love is willing to put away suspicion. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4, Paul is describing false teachers, and he says, they are characterized by all kinds of ungodly things, including evil suspicions. And the word suspicion there in 1 Timothy 6, 4, means... That we have just a scant amount of evidence and we run to the wrong conclusion with that evidence. Oh, I know what that person's all about. I know what they're trying to accomplish. I know why they're saying and doing what they're saying and doing. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Love is willing to put away suspicion and take the best view of the facts. Love is willing to avoid jumping to conclusions with other people. It's hard work to love. It just is. If I care about someone, I'm willing to avoid jumping to conclusions. Proverbs 18, verse 17. The first one to plead his case seems right until, until his neighbor comes and examines him, the Bible says. You know, a lot of times we see something and we jump to conclusions and we know exactly what we think has happened or what's going on. Love Holds and suspends judgment sometimes. Avoid jumping to conclusions. What does love do? Believing the best? Believing the best is the essence of encouragement, brethren. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, Saul of Tarsus had been converted. He had become a Christian. And when he went back to Jerusalem, he tried to go to a worship service. He tried to join the disciples. And they wouldn't let him in the Bible says they were afraid of him and so Saul of Tarsus was kind of a ship without a port where am I gonna go I've obeyed the gospel I'm a Christian where am I gonna go Barnabas if you remember in Acts 9 believed the best about Paul Barnabas because he loved and because he was an encourager went to Paul and talked to him and brought him and introduced him to the disciples There need to be more people that take the best possible view of things among the people of God. Love is hard work. Think about this. In speaking of others, when I'm going to say something about other people, love is discreet and kind. We're talking about practical ways in which love is hard work. When I speak of others... It's difficult to be discreet. That means I'm careful about what I say. and it's difficult to be kind consistently. But love is kind, isn't it? First Corinthians chapter thirteen verse four. In Ephesians chapter four verse twenty nine, the scripture says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And shortly thereafter, in Ephesians 4 verse 31, the scripture says, we are to put away evil speaking and malice from our hearts. Stop speaking evil of others. Stop saying things and judging motives about others. Stop saying things that are indiscreet and that are unkind. That's what the passage is saying. If we really love people, this is the way that we'll speak. In Mark 4, 24, Jesus said, it's not just about what we say, it's also about what we hear. Take heed, be careful what you hear. In Romans 12, verse 10, the Bible says that we ought to give preference to one another. We ought to honor one another. We ought to give the very best that we have to give when we speak about others. When you think about speaking about another person, there's an acronym that I've found helpful over the years. Think, T-H-I-N-K. And it's five questions. And it takes some practice. In fact, it takes a lot of practice because love is hard work. But think about this. If I'm gonna speak about someone else, I ought to ask, first of all, is what I'm about to say about the other person true? Not do I think it's true, but is it true? Do I know for a fact that what I'm about to say really, truly is reality? And then if I can answer that question with a yes, I still need to ask some other questions. Is it helpful? We might have information about a circumstance or people. And even though we have information, and even though the information is true, it may not be really helpful for this conversation. Sometimes we kind of just enjoy knowing some things and being able to tell other people, hey, I know about that. If the answer is yes, it's helpful. People need to hear this. Then I need to ask this question, Is it inspiring? Ephesians 4:29, Is it going to impart grace to the hearers? Is this going to lift people up, or is this going to depress them greatly? Is it inspiring? Next question: Is it needed? Just because something's true, helpful and inspiring doesn't always mean that it's necessary that it's needed we are wise when we bridle our tongues because it shows a religion that honors God James chapter 1 and verse 26 is it needed and then finally last question with the K is what I'm about to say about this other person kind when you think about Jesus the Bible says no one ever spoke like him John seven forty-six. And when you think about someone who exemplifies all the right ways to speak about other people, Jesus knew what was in man. He knew people's motives. He knew what drove them. And when Jesus spoke, it was helpful, it was inspiring, it was necessary, and it was kind, even when he had to say things that were hard for people to hear. He said so, and he did those things because he wanted people to repent and to come back to God. Does our speech model his? Next, love is hard work because in times of disappointment, love considers potential. Potential. What could this person become to the glory of God? That's what potential is all about. Proverbs 27, verse 5 tells us that open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. We're not talking about avoiding confrontation. We're not talking about not dealing with sin and not dealing with difficulty. But what we are talking about is when people disappoint us, when circumstances disappoint us, we need to stop and ask the question, what could this person become with God's help? in hebrews chapter six verse nine go in your bibles there if you would for just a moment hebrews chapter six verse nine the hebrews writer was upset and was disappointed in his brethren because they should have grown and they should have learned by the time that he wrote this letter they should have been more mature than they evidently were and in hebrews chapter six verse nine he says this this is considering potential now listen hebrews six verse nine but beloved We are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, even though we speak in this manner. What's he doing? He's saying, I know I'm having to tell you some things that are hard for you to hear, and I know that you're being rebuked, but I want you to know I'm confident that this is going to be received in the manner that it's intended, and I'm confident that things are going to be better in your lives going forward, that you're going to rededicate yourselves to the Lord and serve Him faithfully. That's loving people. Considering potential. It's so easy to just write people off and just say, well, that person's a lost cause. I'll never have another faith in you. I'll never commit to you again. Love considers potential. In Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. Remember? But when you have returned, Jesus says, strengthen your brethren. Peter was going to deny Jesus, but Jesus has that little phrase, when you have returned, Peter, I know better things are ahead for you. That's looking at people's potential. In Acts 13, John Mark, this young missionary disciple, was with Paul and Barnabas, and he abandoned them in Acts 13, 13. Nobody knows why. But it evidently disappointed Paul greatly so much so that in your reading this week in Acts 15, as we thought about why love is hard work, Paul said, I'm just not going to take John on another missionary journey. I'm disappointed in him. He let me down. He let the work down. He let the Lord down. I'm not going to take him with me. But then at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, many years later, Paul was able to say, bring Mark with you for he is useful to me in ministry. What are we saying? That if we love people, even though we've been disappointed, we still prayerfully think about and pray about and look toward what could this person become? What potential does this person show to honor Jesus Christ and to faithfully follow our Lord? Love considers potential. Now this, why is love hard work? Because in the presence of sin, love hopes and longs for a change of heart. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, don't they? Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We are sinful and imperfect people. And in the midst of a life full of sinful and imperfect people, we hope for change of heart. That's what it means to love people. First Corinthians 13, 6 tells us, that love does not rejoice in iniquity. We don't celebrate sin. Love doesn't do that. Love rejoices in the truth the Bible teaches. It rejoices in what's right. In Second Timothy 2 verse 25, Paul reminded the servant of the Lord how he was to be patient and gentle with all if perhaps the Lord may grant them repentance and their souls may be saved. Repentance unto life. The Bible indicates that we're hoping for a change of heart with people if we really love them. In Joel chapter 2, should say 13, not 14, Joel 2.13 says, we're hoping that people will rend their hearts and not just their garments. We're hoping that people will see the awfulness and the gravity of their sin, and we hope as, as people who love others, we hope that they'll rend their hearts before the Lord, that they'll be broken hearted because that's the beginning of discipleship, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. That's what we long for, because we love people. In Acts 2, 36 and 37, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he preached some hard things for people to hear, and the Bible says the people were cut to the heart, but their response was that they changed their hearts, repent and be baptized, and that day 3,000 people obeyed that commandment in Acts 2, verse 38. In the presence of sin... Love hopes and longs for others to change their hearts. In James 4, verses 7 through 9, James says we ought to resist the devil, we ought to cleanse our hands, and we ought to purify our hearts. That's what love hopes for with people. We hope and sincerely long for people who are in the slavery of sin, whose lives are wholly given over to sin, because we love these people, we're hoping and praying and speaking in such a way. That they'll change their hearts if you've never done that for someone let me tell you it's hard work it's hard work to watch people make sinful choices make the wrong choices and still keep praying and hoping and wishing that their hearts would be changed and that they would come back to God but loving people demands that we do so it's hard work to love All this is brought to your attention this morning for this reason. Jesus Christ loves us like nobody ever has. And when you think about the difficult work of loving others, everything we've said this morning has been a perfect picture of who Jesus is. The fact that He is patient with us and kind to us. The fact that when He speaks about others, He speaks in a way that honors and brings glory to God. The fact that Jesus longs for people who are in sin to change their hearts and to turn back to God in humble, submissive faith. Jesus is a perfect picture of the hard work of loving people. And if you and I would be like Him, What a challenge it is to love others. Maybe you need to respond to the gospel this morning because you know that you're lost. You know that you're not in a right relationship with God. The Bible teaches that we ought to believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. That through belief, we ought to do some things based on that. Confess that Jesus is God's son. Repent of your sin and be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sin. It's at the point of baptism that someone who is outside of Christ comes into a relationship with Him. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. We put on Christ. If we can help you to make that decision this morning, or if you need to respond and you'd like to ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours. Make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.